the most important really are the basic estate planning documents. So that's going to be powers of attorneys, last will and testaments, and a living will. So really anyone over the age of 18 really needs to have all of these documents in place. So what is a power of attorney? Well, a power of attorney really is just a legal document that you set up where you appoint someone who can act on your behalf if you would get down where you're sick or you're disabled and you can't make decisions for yourself. So that's gonna be a trusted individual that would really step up and start making those decisions for you if you're at a point where you can't make those decisions for yourself. And our office breaks them out into several different documents based on really the job that that individual be, would be performing for you. So the first type of power of attorney is a financial power of attorney. So this really covers, you know, writing checks for you, paying bills, dealing with your bank accounts. If they would have to sell any real estate, they could do that for you. But one thing to keep in mind is that all power of attorney documents are not created equal. So even if you have one that's older or that another attorney did, it's always good to have it reviewed to make sure that it's current with the law. And then we also look for some specialized powers in the document that are really going to be important. Again, if you would ever get sick or, you know, whoever you appoint, we want to look at protecting your assets. So those powers are unlimited gifting and the power to create an irrevocable trust. So the thing with the power of attorney is they're only as good as the powers that are specifically included in the document. So for instance, if, if you didn't do any protection, nothing was done before you got sick, and whoever you appoint in your document comes to us and says, you know, there's a house, there's a bank account, we want to look at shielding some of these assets from their long-term care, we wouldn't be able to help them unless they had the power to do unlimited gifting and potentially set up that irrevocable trust. So what I mean by unlimited gifting is each year the IRS allows you to give up to 15000 per person. You don't have to file anything with the IRS. You don't have to report it. Um, and that's what's known as limited gifting up to that $15,000 exclusion. Well, you can imagine if you have a house or a large bank account, $15,000 isn't going to allow your agent to protect much on your behalf. So we have to have specifically unlimited gifting, which would allow them to transfer and protect as many of your assets as they would need to, even if you're in that crisis situation. So it's always important to review it to make sure that those two powers are included. And then there was a pretty substantial law change that took effect here in 2015. So what it does is there are new execution requirements. There's a new notice that has to go on it. And basically the, what the purpose of this document was, was to really make sure that there's a uniform standard of what has to be in a power of attorney document and how it has to be signed. And it really helps protect banks and financial institutions from having to you know, determine if a document is a valid power of attorney, does it meet all of the requirements. So the way this law works is if you have an older power of attorney, they are still supposed to honor that document. But what we find a lot of times with larger banks, larger companies, is the new law really gave them a lot of protection. So they won't honor the old document. So we always recommend that if you have an older document before 2015, get it reviewed to make sure that it's up to date with this new law change. Because that's gonna be very important to make sure it has all of those requirements. The next type of power of attorney is a healthcare power of attorney. So this one only covers, you know, if you were in a medical situation, you're not able to talk to the doctor, communicate what your wishes are regarding surgery, you know, being admitted to a hospital. 
this is really going to become crucial because I'm sure you've all heard of the HIPAA privacy laws where they won't give any information unless you have them designated as an appropriate person. Well, the law no longer assumes that your spouse is going to be that person. So even if you want to list your spouse as the one that would make these decisions for you, it's still important to have a healthcare power of attorney saying that they can get access to any, any information that they would need, your medical records, all of that, so they can make a good and informed decision for you. Now, the next document is a living will. You might have also heard it called a healthcare directive. This one's different from a regular healthcare power of attorney because this only includes your end of life decisions. If you have a terminal condition, you're permanently in a coma or a vegetative state, and you've really hit a point where no treatment is going to improve your condition or your quality of life, it's just really going to prolong your life at that point and keep you alive. So this would say, you know, you don't want CPR, life support, any of that life-sustaining um, procedures if it's really not going to give you that quality of life. And one thing that we like to put in there is what about pain relieving drugs, artificial hydration, artificial nutrition? Do you want those included? Um, we always like to put in artificial hydration, specifically if you would ever have to get any pain relieving drugs, you know, such as morphine or anything like that. And that's really to help ease the administration of those drugs. So even if you don't want artificial nutrition or any other treatment, we always recommend at least the artificial hydration. That would be really for your ease and your comfort. All right, and then the last type of power of attorney is relatively new, came out a couple years ago here in Pennsylvania, and it's really known as a mental health power of attorney. So this one's really important, especially because, you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, a lot of that treatment is still in the experimental phase. So there really isn't any treatment that will help completely improve that condition or heal that condition. So what this allows your agent to do is it allows them to get you any and all mental health treatment that might be recommended by the doctor, whether that be a drug trial, an experimental study, you know, electroshock therapy, anything like that that you would agree to and the doctor would say is in your best interest, this is really where that, that this document becomes important, especially if you would need inpatient treatment and you're not able to consent to that. Um, this would allow them to get you that inpatient treatment as well. Now, one thing to keep in mind is this document does automatically expire every two years. It's just something they've written into the law. They want your capacity redetermined. They want your agents redetermined every two years. So even if you have this document, um, it's good to, again, get that reviewed every two years to make sure that it's current, up to date, and it doesn't expire. Now, one of the misconceptions I hear about a power of attorney as well, you know, I just want my spouse to do everything, you know, can't they just handle all of this for me? And like I said earlier, the law no longer assumes that the spouse is the individual that you would want to make your financial and your healthcare decisions. So what would happen is if you don't have a power of attorney document in place and you would hit that crisis where you can't pay your bills, you can't talk to the doctor, somebody would actually have to go before a judge and file and a file for what's called a formal guardianship proceeding. So that's where they would go, they would get your medical records, there would be a hearing, and it's very intrusive and it's very costly because usually that takes anywhere from three to four months. And if you're in a nursing home and a, a crisis is occurring, uh, you're gonna have those nursing home bills racking up 
and that's about $10,000 a month. You'll see there 10,732 is the average cost of care. So if it's three months before anyone can pay that bill, on the end of that, you're gonna be hit with a bill of about $32,000, okay? So all of that can be avoided if you would just sign a power of attorney document saying, you know, hey, if I get sick or if I get down, this is who I want to pay my bills. This is who I wanna take care of my medical situation. So the bottom line is it's always better to plan ahead of the crisis because then you can really choose who's going to make those decisions for you. Because again, if you uh, have to go through a guardianship action, anyone can file that. It doesn't have to be your spouse or your children. It could be a nephew that you've never spoken to. And then it's all up to the judge, whether they grant it, whether they feel that he has good cause to make those decisions for you. So if you appoint someone in a document, you can avoid that third party that you've never spoken to trying to get access to your financial and medical decisions. Now, the next document that's really important is a last will and testament. So again, even if you want everything to go to your spouse or you want it to go to your kids, it's still important to have this set of written instructions about where you want your property to go. Because how it works in Pennsylvania is if you don't have a last will and testament, the state of Pennsylvania actually has a last will and testament for you. So they define it by law where your assets would go. So it's not going to be your spouse. So by law, your spouse is only entitled to about half and 30,000. And then the other half goes to your kids. So it's not going to be guaranteed that your spouse would get everything. So it's always important to have this set of instructions, even if you do want everything to go to your spouse or your kids. And it's also important because you can designate who your executor or your personal representative is going to be. And that's really the individual that's going to make sure that everything gets liquidated or transferred or filed, all the taxes, the expenses. They're really going to be that main individual that makes sure everything gets handled when you pass away. So you want to make sure that it's someone that you trust and that someone's responsible enough to really handle everything appropriately at that point. But again, it's important to have that designated so that the law doesn't make that decision for you. Now, there are certain assets that aren't controlled by your last will and testament. So these are anything that has a joint owner or a, a beneficiary. So any type of contract like an annuity, life insurance, IRA, they're going to have where you can specifically list who the beneficiary is. And it's always important to review these to make sure that nothing has changed in your life. It's still the individual that you want to receive that asset. For instance, you know, if you leave an ex-spouse on a life insurance policy and you pass away, that policy is going to go to that ex-spouse regardless of what your last will and testament says. So even if your will says, I want everything to go to my current spouse, that life insurance policy is going to go to your ex-spouse. So it's important to always make sure to have those updated as life changes, because you don't want to run into that situation where it goes to someone that you really don't want to receive that money. The same with certain type of investment accounts. They can be set up as what's called a transfer on death policy. It kind of works like a, um, a beneficiary designation where it just says, when I pass away, I want this account to go 100% to the transfer on death beneficiary. So again, that goes outside of the last will and testament. And then anything that's owned jointly. And we see this a lot with real estate. So real estate, there's actually three different options of how you can own it in Pennsylvania. So the first option is what's called joint tenants with the right of survivorship. So say you own property with your two siblings, it's set up this way where it says joint tenants with the right of survivorship. 
what that means is, is it really becomes a last man standing situation. So if one sibling dies, their ownership goes back to the other two siblings. So whoever survives the longest is going to own that property 100%. So a lot of times this really isn't what individuals want. They would prefer that each um, sibling really gets to pass their one third down to their kids. And that would really be what's called a tenancy in common. So that means that if one of the siblings passes away, their one third follows their estate plan, goes down to their beneficiaries. So it's really important to review the deed, how that real estate is titled. And if you don't see a designation on the deed, um, the default in Pennsylvania is tenants in common. So that is the default if you don't see that survivorship language. And then if you own real estate jointly with your spouse, again, the default is tenants by the entireties. So what that means is that whenever one spouse dies, that property goes automatically 100% then to the surviving spouse. Okay, so it's just defaulted to tenants by the entireties, as long as you haven't separated and you're not divorced. All right, and then we talked about this earlier, but it is important to make sure that your beneficiary designations are up to date. So I can't stress this enough. You know, you might have a parent that's passed away or a sibling that's passed away or an ex-spouse. Always reach out to the companies and make sure that you know who those beneficiaries are.